James chapter 3, we are going through uh, and having a conversation with, I, I, you know, it's my favorite, favorite book in the New Testament. I know I've said that a couple times. We've gone through Mark, we've done Luke, and I always say it's my favorite, but this one really is my favorite because James has a way of challenging and, uh, uh, and, and, and challenging my faith. Like, anytime I read the book of James, what I love about him, and it's, he's, he's just real direct and concise about what he wants to say. And, and with that, he, he, he just no-nonsense kind of guy. He really speaks in that. I mean, his words are so practical because it challenges me to be a better husband, challenges me to be a better father, um, a better pastor. And every time I dive into this, this word, he always grows my faith. And so I, I, I approach James um, that way, and I invite you to approach it the same way, that there's something here for you. There's something that I think will challenge you. There's something that will speak to you, that no matter where you're at in your seasons of life, no matter what you have going on, I believe that, that James has a word um, for you, and, and, and the Holy Spirit wants to do something in that and grow and mature us as faithful followers of Jesus. So if you don't know uh, much about the Bible or you don't know anything about the Bible, we, have, we need to know that context is everything, isn't it? Um, the fact that why a book was written, to whom it was written, um, it's important to know context because if we don't understand context, we can put our own spin on things and we can read into a passage and make it to be whatever we want. We don't want to do that. We want to know why a, a book was written. We want to know to whom it was written. And, and it's important to understand the, the whole caveat, the whole, the whole theme of the New Testament. Paul is somebody who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. James is one of the books that, that people look at as they look at the teachings of Paul and they say, hey, like, this doesn't seem to mesh with two-thirds of the New Testament, of the teachings of Paul. Paul's teachings was uh, salvation through grace alone. There's nothing that you need to do to be saved, Right? it's already done, it's complete, it is finished on the cross, which is totally true. So when Paul was teaching these words and saying these words, he was speaking to religious people. And, and Paul knew there, there was something there, there were, they were works only. In order for me to get in with God, I had to do things for God. And so what developed out of that was just a very much a religiosity that was not fueled in grace at all. It was just works for salvation. So he speaks to them, he says, hey, religious people, there's some things that you need to unlearn about God. There's some things that you've been taught since you were a kid that aren't actually message of Jesus at all. So I don't know, maybe you're in the same way. You're in a season where you're unlearning some things about God. You're unlearning some things about your faith. There's things that you've been taught or there's things that you've been told about following Jesus. And you're like, okay, I'm in an unlearning season. There's a little bit more to my faith. That's, that's what Paul was doing. And so then James comes along, and James, to our best knowledge, we're, we're not totally sure on which James this was, but our best guess is it's James, the brother of Jesus. Uh, and, and, and James comes along, and he sees Jesus' followers now taking the message of Paul and, 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 and almost going the opposite, taking it so seriously where they're just like, I could live however I want as long as I go to church on the weekend. In our context, as long as I go to church on Sunday... I can just live my life however I want because the grace of God is there. He'll forgive me. It doesn't matter. And so this is the way he, so he speaks into that. He's like, okay, followers of Jesus, don't, don't, don't misunderstand the importance. Yes, grace, salvation through grace alone. But if your faith is complete and if it's mature, it's actually going to take itself outside of your gathering. It's actually going to move into your Monday through your Saturday. And so he's speaking that now into the church. I love the book of James because it's a, it's a word for us today in our culture, isn't it? Think about how, how, how many times maybe you meet a Christian or a follower of Jesus or you know people 
Or maybe for you specifically, this is a convicting word for yourself, but your faith is just confined to a Sunday gathering. There's not a whole lot of fruit. There's not a whole lot of exercising your faith outside of a Sunday. And our churches could do a lot of damage to followers of Jesus when they perpetuate that need, right? Or it's like, it is just about the gathering. We're saying, no, 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 no. From the very beginning, we said, no, no. There are, our faith outside of this place is so much more important. Not that this isn't important, but this is just an hour into our entire week. And so uh, I think this message that James is going after over and over, this idea of mature faith, um, this idea of actually stepping into the life that God has for you is very relevant for us today. And so that's, that's the lens that we need to approach this text. Are you with me? Are you following me? Week one, uh, we talked about tests and temptations and how to navigate those two things, that trials and temptations are a way of life. So how do we navigate those as followers of Jesus? Chapter two was all about the dangers of favoritism, uh, understanding that, that those that follow Jesus, we're all on equal ground. No one's better than the other person. Um, and, then, and then chapter three, what we're going to look at today is that James, James has a very specific word to Jesus followers. He's talking to Jesus followers. If you're not a Jesus follower, you're kind of off the hook, but hopefully something challenges you in this a little bit. But how you talk to people, how you interact to people, the words that come off your tongue. And so I'm titling this message, The Real Window into My Soul. James chapter 3, verse 1, if you've brought your Bible. Uh, if not, we'll have it up on the screen. I'm reading out of the CSB translation, which is the one that the Lord loves the most. Verse 1, here we go. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does, stump, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature. So right away here in verse 2, we know exactly where James is going, don't we? He's automatically talking to you. He's talking to me. He's like, hey, if your words have never caused you to stumble, don't even read on. Which automatically we're like, okay, you got me. We've all said something we shouldn't have said. We've, all said. we've all said things, words that we wish we could take back. So he's like, okay, so now that we're all on the same page, now if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they will obey us, we will direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a word of the unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, those, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives? My brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. Would you pray with me? Lord, we... Uh, we approach your word recognizing that uh, it speaks to us, that it's alive and that it's active and that there's something that you want to do in us. And so, Father, I pray that as we, as we dive into this word, 
um, and as we dive into your word, would you, would you get our attention with something? That the areas in our lives that maybe that don't reflect you or areas in our lives that we're keeping away from you, especially with our speech, especially with the words that come out of our mouths. Lord, would, would our words be honoring to you? So would we be doers of your word, not just hearers only? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now, has your tongue ever got you in trouble? Have you ever said something that you just had that moment you're like, oh, I wish I can take that back. As you see someone's response out of words that you've said, maybe you just, your words just kind of, you know, kept, you kept digging a hole, and you're like, I can't stop. And they're like, I should stop, but I can't stop, right? I come from a family of five. My mom's here. She's like, that's true. He's not lying. Um, I'm the youngest of five kids. I have four older sisters. I've got one sister. I won't name her. But, but she uh, is really good at digging herself into a ditch. I remember growing up and, and hearing my mom talk to her and be like, you're grounded for a week. Okay, two weeks. Oh, three. And then all of a sudden we realized she's in solitary confinement because she couldn't just stop saying things. Her words kept getting her into trouble. A stubbornness behind all of us where we just want to say what we think, right? We're, we're, we're led by our emotions. We're led by our stubbornness. And oftentimes we can just speak, 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 speak because this is what we know how to do. This is the most powerful thing I have at my display of my words. You can't tell me not, you can't tell me what I can't say. And, and so this is something in all of us. We all have that moment. It doesn't matter uh, how long you've been following Jesus or how long you've not been following Jesus. We all say things that we may regret or have said things to someone that caused great pain or hurt. Peter, uh, one of the very first followers of Jesus, was this way, wasn't he? What's fascinating about Peter, he was known to be someone who some commentators say had foot-and-mouth disease. He was constantly saying things that caused great harm to other people. And actually, his words led him down a life that was uh, quite sad, that led to a lot of heartache, that led to a lot of problems, that led to a lot of conversations of, oh, gosh, I'm sorry I said that. He was known to be that type of person. When you'd see Peter, you would know, hey, he, you should just know something about him. He's going to say something that's probably going to hurt your feelings, but just know he's working on it. Like, just have, just have grace over his life, right? And, and what's fascinating about Peter is even with that, Jesus still uses him. In fact, Jesus is like, okay, everything I've been building, the whole church, you know, you're the leader of it. Here, here are the keys to it. And so it shows us that those of us here that might have foot and mouth disease, those of us that have a problem with our words, there is great hope for us. The mercies of God are, 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 are bigger. The love of God for us doesn't stop with the things that we say or may not say. That, that Jesus has a plan for our lives and he wants to redeem those parts of us. And so I think, can we just say, are we all in the same, are we all in the same place here? We have our words. Do we say things that hurt other people? And so this is, this is what James believes. He, he believes that our words are the real window into our soul. You know the phrase, right? Like the eyes. The eyes are the real window into people's soul. I hear this all the time, that phrase where I'm like, you think about that for a second, you're like, what? That doesn't make any sense. All your eyes tell me, well, they're the color I see, and whether you're awake or you're asleep. I've been deceived by eyes before. I'm like, oh, those eyes are so warm. And they're like, Bleh! Like, whoa, well, your eyes are so nice and warm. No, I was, I'm watching this thing on Netflix, the Jeffrey Dahmer. It's a, it's a Netflix document. Have you guys seen this? 
Yeah, I mean, again, I'm going to recommend a few different documentaries, and I don't recommend them as, hey, you should go watch it because it's really great. I'm recommending it because they actually learned some stuff. But there's some documentaries that I will mention today that don't watch if you're easily offended. But the first one is this Jeffrey Dahmer one. It's basically about the life of the serial killer, right? And one of the things that every victim has really said about him is that his eyes were so warm. His eyes were so welcoming that he was a nice, good-looking, friendly guy until he wasn't, Right? And so there's something about that where it's like, okay, no, no, let's open the eyes a little bit. James says there's a quicker way to, to actually see what the depths of someone's soul is actually like. Don't look at the eyes. Look at their words. Hear what they're saying. Hear what they're saying to people, how they talk to a coworker, how they talk to their wife, how they talk to a girlfriend, whoever it is, to a complete stranger, to the person that cuts them off on the 55. Listen to the things they say then. Because that will actually show you what's going on inside of them. The words are a real window into your soul. And so number one, right as we get at it, this is what James says, what we say matters. And he goes straight at the gut of teachers. Why? Because teachers, you know, we have quite a few teachers in our church, uh, we talk a lot. We say a lot of words, don't we? Uh, Teachers, anybody that teaches, anybody that stands in front of people have a great responsibility. Why? Because the things we say guide people. Like we have influence over people's lives. Have you had a really bad professor in college or something that like maybe something they said like shook the foundation of of your soul or maybe something that someone said misguided you on a path or gave you really bad advice? Teachers have a have a real strong influence on other people so so james says like hey if you teach you you need to know that you have a lot of responsibility on your shoulders because what you say matters you you have the ability to guide and direct people's lives this is true for pastors this is true for anybody that would stand up on a stage like this anybody at reunion that preaches has has a huge burden on their shoulders that they will be held responsible to a greater degree than anybody else, James says. We, it, that's why it's so important to not take this moment for granted. Anytime I get up here, anytime Amy gets up here, anytime Mark gets up here, or Nathan gets up here, there is a weight that falls on their shoulders because we are teaching. We are pointing people into a direction. So James says, take it easy. And the reason why he's saying this is because the resurrection was so fresh on the minds of Jesus' followers. That believe it or not, kids were growing up in households being like, I want to teach people, I want to tell people about the resurrection. Like this is what people wanted to do, even older people. They were eager to go to town squares, they were eager to go to the synagogues and teach. So James says, cool your jets. It's, it's much more than just having a desire to tell people what you're saying actually matters now the rest of you are like well i don't teach so i I could just like these these first like three or four verses don't matter to me right no he's the bigger concept here is influence i'm willing to bet as i look at each and every one of you 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 have you have some sort of influence somewhere someplace somebody looks up to you i hope i hope it could be a child it could be whoever it is and so what, what, what James is going after, he's saying like, hey, there's two things that, that your words do, because your words matter. They either build up or they tear down. 
They either encourage or they discourage. They speak life or they speak death. Pick one. What, what, how do you want your words to fall onto people? How do you want your words to be received? Do you want to bless or do you want to curse? And, and James says, can, can I urge you to be a person that encourages? Can I urge you to be someone that lifts up, that speaks life? Because 99% of the people will not. We all go places and we all have interactions with people where we're just being beat up. Things that are being said about us, things that people are sowing into us, very rarely uh, are they encouraging. And so James says, well, followers of Jesus, if there's one thing that we can do differently, can we be people that bless others? Because our words matter. I'm reading through the book of Proverbs right now in my, my devotion time, which I love. It's been a little while since I've been there. I encourage you. I mean, this whole, this, whole, this whole book of James, we said the main, main theme here, there's two, is patience and wisdom. And it caused me to want to step into the book of Proverbs because this is the book of wisdom, right? Just great words that challenge us, that speak into things. And, and I came across Proverbs 16, 24, and this is what the author says. It says, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the taste, and health to the body. My words matter. I need to choose them wisely. And more so, my words reflect the condition of my soul. The phrase, hurting people hurt people is so true, isn't it? And it's actually, I, I have that, it's always in the back of my mind. I have a lot of conversations with people that say not nice things. And there's always something that comes back. I always remember, hurting people hurt people. And instead of getting defensive, and instead of yelling back or being louder, it actually allows us to have empathy and compassion for that person. Because we know that hurting people hurt people. What comes out is what's inside. And so we as Jesus followers, or the call is here is to be different. It's to speak love, it's to speak truth, it's to be kind to people. And when we do it, or when we get this wrong, and we do catch, our, catch ourselves saying something to someone that's hurtful, the, the, don't beat yourself up, don't be shameful, don't feel guilty. Let's remember the mercies of God in our own lives. That, that every single day, this is my mantra of life. Every time I get up, as grumpy as I may be, especially now that it didn't get light till like 7.30. I'm like, today's a new day. The mercies of God are new for me today. Today is all I have. And if we approach our lives that way, th- this seems to be good and this will feed our souls. So question for you, for you to ponder and consider, to ask yourself if you're taking notes, do my words naturally build others up or tear them down? Do your words naturally, instinctively, instinctively build others up or tear them down. That's something to ask yourself. That's something to watch in your life this week. Hope you do it. Number two, my words determine the direction of my life. James here, he likens the tongue to three things. Did you catch it? A horse bit, a rudder, and a forest fire. He says, hey, the horse bit, you guys know anything about horse? I grew up with horses. It's fascinating. They're one of the most powerful animals we get horsepower from. They're one of the most powerful animals on the planet. You can try to like bump a horse and try to do stuff to it. The horse is way more powerful, way more strong than I'll ever be. But you put a three-inch bit in the mouth of a horse, and guess what? You make this thing go wherever you want. It's fascinating. My sister is a, a, a horse trainer, and, and, and she gets to oversee the, the Huntington Beach Police Mounted Units. And so she, she's the horse trainer for those horses. And watching these big horses 
Just be kind of led and guided by a tiny, tiny little bit, right? Is, is fascinating. And he says, James says, the same thing with a ship. You seen a big cruise ship? You know, like the rudder in the back of a cruise ship is not proportionate to the size of that ship. It's actually quite small. But something that could be blown and tossed by the wind, it can actually be controlled and contained by a tiny rudder. Consider a forest fire. Do you know that the forest fires are, are sparked just by a tiny little, they're lit by a tiny little spark? And I think what the campfire this past year was one of the biggest fires in California in existence. And when a company came out, I think it was, was it a gas company? Uh, it was something like that, but they took ownership. They said one of their equipment sparked, tiny little spark, ignited this huge fire. And, and we see what happens here. And so, so James is saying, hey, our tongue is just as effective. And our tongue is just as deadly. The words that are coming from my, lo- my mouth actually are directing my life. So if my words are gentle, if my words are humble, if my words are grace-filled and peace-giving, then you can bet my life will be like that. My reputation will be that way. People will say, Mike is a graceful person. Mike is a kind person. Mike is a gentle person. But if my words are judgmental, if I gossip, if I'm spending time talking about someone behind their back instead of going directly towards that person, then guess what? I will be known as an arrogant, discontent, or jealous type person. And this is what James is speaking to. Your words determine the direction of your life. The things that you say, say everything about the kind of life that you want to live, right? There's, there's, there's that. So, and, and then also another caveat to that is by the way that we speak actually reflects those that we'll, we'll surround ourselves with. You notice that negative people hang out with negative people? That like kind people hang out with other kind people? Like I don't know many like positive kind people that are like, I want to hang out with rude grumpy people all day. Like it's, this thing we hear in our culture is like positive vibes only, right? It's just a natural thing that we gravitate towards. This is something that we do. So, you know, like, just look at the people around you. There's a good way to determine this, right? Who, who are you hanging out with? What kind, what, how do you guys talk about other people? What do you guys talk about? And there's a good chance that, you know, show me your three or four friends and show you the direction of your life. Because the things that we say gravitate, cultivate the kind of community around us that actually steer us into the direction of our lives. And so James says, hey, like, it's easier to tame a wild animal than it is to tame your tongue. Humans have mastered taming wild animals. Go to the zoo. See how these big mountain lions and stuff, see what they're doing. They're very different. They're tamed for the most part. He said, it's going to be way easier to tame a wild animal than it will to tame your tongue. So no, it's challenging. But hey, don't give up on the challenge. Don't, just, don't count yourself out. This is something worth working on. And I love it because James speaks to this. Again, if we look at James chapter 1, verse 19. He told us how to do this. Remember the verse? He says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. You want to you tame your tongue? You want to speak words of encouragement and life into people? Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Too many of us are what? Quick to speak. And slow to listen. When we, when we speak quickly, we, we, we do damage with our words, don't we? 
And so he says, this is a great way to start. This is a great way to practice taming your tongue. Just be quiet. Like, don't feel like you have to get the last word. Don't feel like everything you say is doctrine. Listen to what, those have to, what, the, what others have to say around you, because there's something there that you can learn from. There's gold in what other that relationship or that, that communication could do. Just, 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 just be quiet for a minute. Don't think, don't th- who's, someone's preaching back there, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so Ruby, Ruby's like, hey, I'm learning my words. I'm trying to find my words. We need to be more like Ruby. Um, and so he gives us this natural say, be quick to listen, be slow to speak. Uh, I'm a natural overshare. You know, you know me at all. You know that I, I overshare, and I know this about myself, obviously. And so there's there's moments where, like, uh, you know, I'll be talking about something. And I'll just be like, oh, you want to know? You're asking me questions. I'm not gonna lie. Like, I'm an open book. It's part of my personality. It's it's who I am. And so naturally, I could just tell you anything about myself. I'll share anything. I don't, I don't typically like to hide anything. And so I, I overshare. And that has gotten me into trouble. It's gotten me in trouble with my relationship with Jesse. It's gotten me in trouble with relationships with other people. But I'm learning that I don't need to say everything that I feel. Something that concerns me about people today, Jesus followers today, is that we let our feelings run our lives. We, 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 we buy into the lie that just because I feel something means that this feeling is right, right? Like, just because this is how I'm experiencing, this is the emotion that I have, means that this emotion is right, where James is clearly speaking, hey, don't let your emotions, we said in James chapter 1, don't be a person that's like so unstable. Depending on which way the wind blows, you go that way or this way, and you're just that kind of person where you're just like, like, I'm so angry, I'm sorry, I'm so happy, I'm so happy. It's like, just chill out. Don't let your emotions run your life. Just be, be quiet for a second. Am I suggesting that we ignore our feelings? No, we don't ignore our feelings. That's not biblical at all, but I am suggesting that we don't let our feelings run our lives because if our feelings run our lives, our tongue will get us in trouble. Our words will get us in trouble and we'll be a divisive person. We're gonna cause a bunch of forest fires that James says that you won't be able to extinguish. He says, don't, don't be that person. If you follow Jesus, I don't want you to be that person. I would say for you, if, if you're someone who is quick to gossip or you're someone who's quick to pass judgment onto somebody, I would be concerned. And that's just something for, for you and the Holy Spirit to, to do some business on. If that's something that you live in, if that's a place that's true for you, I would be concerned if I was you because it's shedding a, a bright light into your soul. It's showing you something that's true about yourself. And that only the mercies and the graces of God can heal. And so it's important. So question for you to consider. I feel practical this morning. In the spirit of encouraging and blessing, who's one person that you can spend time encouraging this week? Who's one person that you know is having a real hard time in life? Who who might be isolated, who might be alone, or might be struggling at work, that you can just commit to as much as you can without being weird, just be human. They'll be like, hey, brother, I'm praying for you today. Like, just be normal. Don't be weird. Too many Christians are weird. Just be normal. Who's one person that you can encourage? Who's one person that you can speak life into? Buy him lunch uh, and affirm him. I think it'll make a difference. Let's go to verse 13. 
They warned us today in kids' ministry that they're going to scream and shout. And I said, do it. Let the kids be kids. We can't tame kids either, can we? We can try. I have three. We can't tame them. Just let them go. And when they get hurt, you pick them up. It's fine. Verse 13. Here we go. We're transitioning now. This is, this is what James says. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should know. This is gender. It's, it's interchangeable. Don't get thrown off by the he's. By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Just he's saying, if it's there, be honest. Don't beat yourself up. If you've got bitterness or your envy at all, deal with it. Speak truth into that. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Wow. Thank you for that. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom, he says, from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. I, I was jumped into the message. Uh, every once in a while, when I, I look at a passage, I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll sometimes flip over to the message to see because there's some language there that's helpful. And I read the message. I want to read it to you because this, 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 this translation actually really goes after the heart of what James is saying. And I think it's going to rock your socks. Are you ready for this? Here we go. The message, we'll have it up on the screen. Do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well. Live wisely. Live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk that counts. Mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. It's actually the farthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning. It's devilish conniving. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at each other's throats. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It's gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessing, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. Whoa. Okay. Thank you, Eugene Peterson, for that one. That speaks to us. That speaks to me. What's, what's, what's he getting after? What's this translation getting after for as far as what James is already hinting about? He's saying this. Let your life do the talking. Let your life do the talking. I think this message contradicts the number one thing that I see our culture promoting in, day in and day out. Do you know what that is? Self. Promotion of self. Our culture preaches this to you every day. Whether you're on social media, whether you're watching TV, wherever it is, culture says in order to get ahead, in order to be somebody, you must be awesome. You must tell as many people as you can about why you're better than everybody else, why you're more valuable, why you're, why you're more smarter. Smart. <laughs> why you're more smarter? 
I'm not the smartest one in the room, and I'll admit it. This is what our culture preaches at us. This is what our culture says to us. Uh, another, uh, you guys watch the documentary on Netflix called Fire? Again, I don't. I'm not recommending this documentary. If you are easily offended with bad words, do not watch it. Uh, there's a lot going on in there. But what's interesting, if, you're not, if, you're not, if you don't know much about it, I, go watch it if you're not easily offended. But the Fire Festival is considered one of the biggest cons of all time. Uh, in a sense that uh, it was put on, uh, and, and it really led a whole generation of people, specifically the millennial generation, um, to, to think that there was a music festival happening in a remote island. And so what happened is that all this promotion went out and actually talked into millennials and young people giving hundreds of thousands of dollars away, selling packages, VIP packages, beach houses, saying, hey, there's a great festival, but who's, who's going to be there? All the celebrities are going to be there? So this is the place to be, so you should come, Right? So people gave hundreds of thousands of dollars to this thing to go travel, did not know that they were conned until they arrived. When they saw, there's no beach house. The bands that they said that are going to be there aren't there. Uh, This is what they did. So the the way that the fire Festival actually conned so many unsuspecting people was through Instagram influencers. They paid people. It's brilliant. They paid people like, Kylie Jenner, and some other people to go post on their social media account. Again, why would they question it? You're going you're to pay me $80,000? Sure, I'll do it. They paid them to, to advertise it, and then all the followers were like, oh, since, since she said this is real and that this is awesome, it's going to be real and it's going to be awesome. And so that's the way they went through this. They, they, they conned millions, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars from people because of promotion. Where our, our society today focuses way, way more on appearance. What things appear to be over reality. And our culture preaches this. Our culture says this is what's good. If you can appear to be awesome, that's all that counts. You don't really have to be awesome. If people just think around you that you have to be awesome. Where, where James is coming back and he's saying, no, no, no. If something looks good, it may not be good. It actually might just be smoke and mirrors. So don't be someone that focuses all on what people might think of you. Don't be, and, and he's the biggest indication of this is someone that's quick to promote self. People that are self-promoters naturally will appear to be better than they really are. And so James is like, exercise some wisdom. Don't be fooled into believing that just because someone says they're awesome that they really are. Because he's... Typically, James says, the, the real people that have the fruit, the people that uh, are really doing some good in the world, are the people that just do it, are the people that just live it. <laughs> Mother Teresa, right? This is what she was famous for. She just did the stuff. She just lived it. She didn't have an Instagram account. She didn't have a Twitter. She didn't need it. Why would I spend all my time trying to get people to think how awesome my ministry is? Well, I'll just go do the ministry, Today, it's so sad because this is what we see in the church. It's, this is breeded in our churches today. Some of the most celebrated churches, some of the most celebrated ministries are the ones that promote self the biggest and the best. Where, where James say, don't, don't believe the lie. Just do the ministry. Let your life do the talking. And that's what we're committed to do as a church. We're committed to be that kind of person, be the kind of followers that just live it out via the family center. We live this stuff out on a weekly basis via our groups, laundry night, 
all the things we're saying. Let's go live this. Let's not just talk about it. Let's not appear to be awesome. Let's just show people what we're doing. So let your life do the talking. Um, I think James, if he were here today, I think, you know, maybe you're here and you're, you're struggling with that a little bit. You have a hard time believing that, 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 that God didn't make a mistake on you. That, man, I'm t- you're believing lies or things that someone has said to you, sowed seeds in your life that, that really pushes you down instead of, instead of builds you up. And I think James, if he was here, he would just say, stop trying to convince people around you that you're awesome, that you're worth something. Just know that you are. Just, just start living it out. Stop putting so much energy and worry into others liking you. And just be who you are. Live in your new self. Stop trying to live in the old ways. Stop trying to earn people's love, earn people's respect. Be confident in the person that Jesus said that you are. I think if we live in promotion of self, in a sense, we're almost taking Jesus off the cross. Because you know what the message of the cross is at the end of the day? That Jesus died for you, which gave you the utmost value and dignity and worth. So if we say, I, am, I don't have any value, I don't have any worth, no one does like me, we're not considering what Jesus did for us on the cross. That by dying for me, he said, I am utmost value. I am worth more than gold. It doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter what people believe. So in that place, I can let my life do the talking. I can go do what God's called me to do. There's naysayers. There's people that will cast judgment. There's people that will gossip. Deal with it head on. I'm not saying ignore it. Go to that person. But he says, don't go with rage. Don't go hurling insults. Don't try to speak louder. Just love them louder. Deal with it head on. Because I guess wisdom that comes from God is gentle and it's humble. It's grace-filled. Anything that's not that way is not from God. That's a word for somebody. When you're you're seeking something, when you're seeking a decision, when you're actually, what does God want me to do? What's he calling me to? This is the spirit he calls us to enter in with. Grace-filled, gentle, humble. That right there is a place that God does work in your life. So let your life do the talking. My plea for us as a church is let's, let's, let's be church that says goodbye to appearance and hello to reality. Let's live in who we are. Let's, let's guard the vision that God's given us as a church, as a community, to be a community with a purpose. Let's guard that. Let's live in that. And let's not get caught up with appearance and what people might think of us. Does that sound like a plan? All right. I'm going to invite the band up. As they come up, I'll just give you a little bonus. And I've already said it, but I want to put it on the screen so uh, we have a visual. I'm a visual person. And this is how James wraps up. He says, wisdom is grateful. In other words, wisdom is not entitled. Wisdom is gentle, not arrogant. Wisdom is humble, not proud. Now, something that I... Say, I, take, I take side of school every Tuesday, Thursday. And every time we go to school, I always, I, we, we have other things we say, other things we talk about, but I'm always like, okay, Sai, let's play nice on the playground today. <laughs> let's get along with the other kids, okay? okay? Why? Because I'm trying to train him in something. I, I want him to have a life that, that plays nice as he gets older. 
I want him to be someone who knows how to get along with people. All kinds of different people. Even the mean and the rude people. Like I want him to be someone that can get along with everybody. I've already spoke to this, but no matter what environment any of my kids get set in, and whatever, wherever it is that they're at in life, whether it's they move to a different country, plant churches, whatever, become a police officer, whatever, doctor, whatever it is that they do, they can stand on their own two feet and represent Jesus anywhere. And James says, one of the biggest in- indications that your faith is actually moved from Sunday to Monday through Saturday is solely whether or not you can play nice. Is whether or not you actually get along with other people. Is, is your life marked just by like fighting and disagreeing and rubbing people the wrong way? Because if everywhere you go, that's a common thread, there's only one common denominator. And who is that? That's you. James says, pay attention to that. Because if that's your life, that's an indication that your faith has not moved Monday through Saturday, that's immature, that it's lacking, that it's incomplete. He says, choose your words wisely. Be a person that lives like Jesus. And this is this is what he's this is why he says it's not just saying this, this is like good advice, obviously, but the inspiration, the focus is who? Jesus. Jesus, this is who Jesus was. My favorite, the most compelling thing about following Jesus for me is that the people that were not like Jesus liked Jesus a lot. The people that should have been like Jesus or the people that we would think would be like Jesus didn't like Jesus at all. Jesus got along with the people in society that society rejected. Not because it was fluff, not because it was weak or prosperity, just because it was love and genuine, it was gentle, humble, grace-filled. Uh, so our, our picture here is Jesus. Our picture is that we would that we would live like him in this. That this is this is the inspiration for James as the brother of Jesus. By the way, James is sold. Uh, another more compelling evidence for Jesus as Messiah is that his own brother is like follow him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What he who, who he is and what he said is true. Believe me, I've been with him since he was a baby. Follow him. And so I think, I think the caveat to this is that the devil wants us to fight. The devil doesn't want us to get along. A church that is divisive, a church that is gossiping, a church that's going after each other's throats is a church, I don't know how else to say this, that the devil has a grip on. That's, that's harsh. But this is true. Maybe you've been a part of a church like that. And so he says, don't, don't, let's not do that. Let's, let's, keep, let's get a grasp on that. And, and, and to be quite honest and frank, that's why I can't stand Jesus followers who ooze entitlement. I can't stand it when I, when I confront and I sit with Jesus followers who are proud. Or are mean. Or rude. That are sowing things into people's lives or speaking into things that aren't humble and gentle. Why? Because it's the furthest thing from the heart of God. God's all about unity with his people. The devil's about divisiveness. And so my plea for us as a church is we get on following Jesus and living for him that we would learn to tame our tongues. That we'd be people that speak life and truth and bless and encourage. Not because that's prosperity, because this is what followers of Jesus do. Because Jesus has got a hold of our lives.
I'm going to read Psalm 1914 over you, and we'll just end with two songs. I love this. This is what the psalmist says. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So, Lord, I lift up each person in this room. Not sure where everyone's at on this or the work that you're doing in, in lives right now, but I believe that you're working and I believe that you're showing us areas. I'm one of them. Uh, words that I say, how quick I am to speak ill or gossip or hurt others with my words. I think this is something that we all can relate with. That none of us in here are beyond this, that none of us in here have figured out how to tame our tongue. And so, Lord, I pray that as we transition from Sunday as we wake up tomorrow and, and, and live our week out that we would really by your power of your spirit guard our words that we would be quick to listen and slow to speak that we would look for someone to encourage that we would do the inventory the work inside of us to, to understand and wrestle with where we're at what's the health of our soul like and at the end of the day Lord our hope is maturity growth so in these moments of worship, uh, as we sing praises to you, Lord, uh, words that are sung up to you are, are words that uh, are grace-filled, are pure, are acceptable to you. So I pray, Father, that, that worship wouldn't just be a time that, that we just kind of mumble some stuff to you, but would this be a practice field? Would this be a place that we learn how to speak love? Would this be a place that our tongue develops a new rhythm, a new routine to speak life and truth? That's what worship is, or it's training us. Training us and rising us up and lifting us up to you. But I pray, Father, that that's what this time would be, above anything else. So would you be here? We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.